This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to HuffPost's brand new weekly podcast, Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Presented by me, Brogan Driscoll. And me, Rachel Moss. This podcast is a frank, honest conversation about women's bodies, health and private lives. This week, we're discussing women and debt. 60% of the people who use the debt support charity Step Change are women. There are so many ways that debt can be gendered, from the fact that store cards are aimed at women, to the gender pay gap, to the fact that women are more likely to be single parents. We'll be joined by Josie Warner, Senior Research and Insight Officer at debt charity Step Change and financial wellness coach Bola Sol. And you can join the conversation by using the hashtag AIMYU. Okay, I'll go first because I was in debt for quite a long time, um, for the whole of my 20s actually. Uh, I've only just paid off my debt. Um, and for a long time, it was something that I felt ashamed about. I just hid away from it. Like I didn't even, I kind of had a credit card with a, with a separate bank. So I didn't see the number and it was kind of something I ended up, I used my credit card kind of at the end of every month. I wasn't very good at managing my Mm -hmm. spending, um, in the fact that, uh, I just used to go out all the time and go out for dinners like honestly like three or four times a week and who did I think I was <laughs> like yeah. on a, like on a journalist <laughs> like entry level salary I was like keeping up with my friends who are accountants and engineers mm-hmm. and being an idiot but anyway oh that I feel like you're so harsh on yourself saying being an idiot because I have plenty of friends who were in that same situation as you, um, I will admit that I wasn't because I'm not going to pretend that I've ever been in bad debt when I haven't because I am the stingiest person you'll ever meet on the other <laughs> end of the scale. I like freak out if I've had two takeaways in a month. Um, so <laughs> I I am the opposite of that. But I know plenty of people who will completely, completely relate to what you were saying. And I don't think it's stupid at all because it's so hard not to get swept up with your friendship group and their spending habits Mm. um I think for me luckily in my friendship group I've said this to you before I'm naturally the organizer and I'm also stingy so when I organize (laughs) meals it's the really cheap restaurants or like a picnic so basically I'm responsible for helping everyone else stay out of debt Um, so good I wish I had a friend like you but also (laughs) you say that I'm being harsh on myself you're you just said that you're stingy are we kind of like excusing our way of the way that we approach money money in a way that's like not very fair that's so true to be sensible with money even saying sensible makes it seem like you're boring which you aren't at all yeah it's so interesting 
Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. And I think it plays into the whole idea that we moralise the way we talk about money Mm. and particularly debt as well. So I've never been into big credit card debt or anything like that. But actually, I do have massive debt in the form of a student loan and a mortgage. And those things are considered good debt, whereas credit cards are considered, and I say this with air quotes, bad debt. And it's just so crazy how there are different judgments attached to different types of debt. I almost feel like if somebody says that they've got themselves into their overdraft because they've bought loads of clothes, you have to check yourself not to call that irresponsible. Whereas if somebody says they're a single mother and they're in debt because they're struggling with their rent, you go, oh my God, that's really sad. When actually both of those situations like, are going to impact that person's life. They're all related to their emotions and their well-being and their mental health. And I just think it serves that like, absolutely no one to get judgmental about debt. Mm. It's not helpful. It's really interesting because I feel like for a really long time, I would joke about the fact that I had debt, but I mm. would never, ever have told anyone what their number was. Yeah. Because I... I kind of I feel like everyone kind of spoke about using credit cards and lots of people spoke about not having any money and being broke but there was so much shame around it. I I saw this post actually on Instagram the other day from a woman who she's just released a book actually. It's called My Frugal Year her account and she was in about 26,000 pounds of debt and she's documenting her journey on of getting out of it. And something that she posted on her Instagram account uh, a couple of weeks ago was, um, you're not in debt, you have debt, which Mm. I thought was really interesting because I never thought about that. Like it's a difference between your debt being your identity and your debt being the situation that you're currently in that with help, obviously depending on how serious your debt is because my debt was not terrible. It was about £8,000, which is a lot of money, but mm-hmm. not something that I couldn't get myself out of. You know, if I was in a sicky situation, I, I'm sure I would have been, like I could have gone and lived with my parents. It's really interesting, um, that idea of having debt versus being in debt, I think. Yeah, It's absolutely. temporary, you know, that having yeah. it, it's something you can offload if you have help and... Yeah. Yeah, it's a nice way of thinking about it. And also you touched on there the idea that even though it wasn't comfortable for you having that debt, you knew you had a safety net. And I think just being upfront about those privileges and also about like the big spectrum of debt as well, because it it does go from the, oh shit, I've spent too much this month to like really, really impacting people's lives and they're in it out of necessity we're getting a little bit better i think as women talking about money like i love um money diaries on refinery which i know has got huge on refinery 29 that is for anyone who hasn't seen it which has got a huge following um and it is anonymized accounts of women sharing their spending habits whether that's debt or not debt all the ins and outs and those kind of things are at least like bringing up the conversation a bit more I think. You mentioned that Money Diaries on Refinery29 is an anonymous kind of column and I think that's what makes it so brilliant and also such a safe space for women to Mm. talk about their money um, their salary their spending their debt their kind of living situation Um, in a way that allows them not to be judged. Because kind of when Money Diaries, it's a US, it's from the US actually, it's a US import from Refining29. 
But when it kind of blew up in the UK, I remember lots and lots of publications, I don't know if you remember this, Rach, trying to copy the format. Yes, yes. And the issue with all of the copycat uh, um, approaches is that they featured the women, they either named them or they had their pictures in. And there were a couple of occasions where... I remember one in particular where there was a woman who lived on her own, no, lived with her parents, had a decent salary, and uh, but had no savings and used to spend quite a lot of her salary, I think, just kind of on clothes and going out. And she basically went viral with loads and loads of people dragging her for for being irresponsible and being entitled. And it just struck me that the confessional nature of the Money Diaries format is like another way that, society can judge women you know based on their money on their money situation and I think it's good that refinery 29s is anonymous because it protects the people who are are coming forward about it and it does open up really interesting conversation because like I mean I don't know any of my friend's salary Really? That's no. interesting. I think you find out salaries more if your mates are in um, public sector jobs. So I've got so many friends who are teachers. So the pay scales are very public. And like, as soon as they've got a head of department job, like I know within a range what they're going to be paid. And I think because of that, they're quite open about it. But um, when you're in private sector jobs, yeah, it's a whole other matter. Even among other journalists, like it takes a real long time to get to know someone, to have that honest conversation, to even figure out if you're on the right salary. So obviously money is a really taboo subject, particularly in British culture. And I think that debt is even more taboo. So it's really great that we're going to be having this conversation um, and we're going to hear from some listeners who have sent us in their own experiences of debt too. My experience of debt is that you never get out of debt. You know, you need um, a dream come true or winning a lottery to actually balance yourself. And that's what my experience is. It's a more mental thing. You have to be strong and know how to balance and learn how to budget. But you never really be free from debt. I mean, who is? I mean, credit cards, mortgages, things like that. Everyone's got some debt to pay. But if you come from my background and many like me who have never had, you know, savings or having a job that can bring in 30000 a year, you know, we've always been on the breadline. And so we've had to get into debt to be able to survive. I got bankrupt about 15 years ago and I lost all the money I had then made me feel like a failure. I had to rely on parents and friends and I had to start from zero and build up. Psychologically, it was a very hard time. What it changed is it changed my attitude towards risk. I became quite afraid of taking risks. I thought it happened to me because I wanted more, more money, more recognition, more success. So it changed my perspective on how I looked at things. It made me concentrate on the job From then on, I just wanted to do the best I can. And the success and the money, if if they ever came, came after that. And I also, I think, started looking at things through the perspective of need. Do I really need to buy that thing? Do I really need it? So I think overall, it was a good experience. Next up, we're joined by Bola Sol, financial wellness coach and the founder of Rich Girl Chronicles, a community for women to come together and talk money. Bola, 
Thank you so much for joining us today. So you're a financial wellness coach, and I wondered whether you could explain what financial wellness means exactly for our listeners. Yeah, so financial wellness is basically having less anxiety around your funds, um, regardless of how much you make. I understand everybody's circumstances are quite different, but it's really key that, you know, people inhale and exhale when it comes to their finances as well. And I say, okay, you know, how can how can I help others have a positive relationship with money so that they don't avoid it, but they're getting in front of it and they feel confident. Rich Girl Chronicles is about defining your story with money. So whether you want a one bedroom house for yourself or somebody wants a six bedroom house, you get to decide how you value your money. Because also to be fair, it's a reflection of how you value yourself, how you value your time mm-hmm. and how you value your energy. Love that. It's such a positive way of framing it. Um, Where do we learn our money habits from, would you say? So some of those habits that are kind of getting in our own way. It's parents, it's media, it's gentrification, it's colonisation, it's patriarchy, it's, um, you know, it's history, right? It's about how we are taught from home, but also what our parents were taught, right? And who their parents were in. So so a a variety of sources. We were talking about our own money experiences at the start. And Brogan was really honest about her own experience of debt. And then I said, on the flip side, I'm the stingiest human being you've ever met. And I do think that comes from my upbringing and having a time when like things were really tight financially. So my mum was very open about budgeting and all of those things so I guess you can you can either lean into what you learn or you can rebel against it can't you is that something you see with the women you talk to a lot absolutely it's about learning and unlearning and you know I'm very honest with my with my journey as well and when I say look um, I'm not in the best place financially or I am I guess it's it starts with honest conversation right Yeah, it's so true. And could you tell us a bit, I think this leads us really nicely into all of your work with Rich Girl Chronicles. Could you tell us kind of what it involves exactly and how it works? Yeah, so it's currently an accountability group. And every month there is only one obligation. You send me your budget before the new month begins or at the start of the new month. And I always told them a budget is a forecast, but I need to see that you are committing to this. And then we have various discussions about everything. So recently we had a discussion that, you know, we have some of them are like um, co-founders of amazing companies. Right. And some are also coaches of, of different industries and things like that. So it's it's literally just a collective of women who come together and we just say, look, we are actually very powerful. Recently on Sunday, we shared uh, multiple streams of income. I shared how I'm currently making five streams of income. Somebody shared how they're making two. And, you know, sometimes some of those income streams aren't as powerful as the others in terms of the financial value but it was about sharing and saying okay how do we get started here how did you get started so it's literally just a community of women who are empowering each other financially we were talking earlier about how there is quite a lot of secrecy around money I'm really interested in kind of how you've like tipped that on its head and what is so powerful about that conversation and and connecting with others and talking about money It is that you are not any form of slave to what society has told you you are, right? You're not slave to money. You know, you have freedom. And this is what people don't understand. Even some of my clients, they sometimes get a bit nervous with me. And I'm like, 
Because here's the thing, right? You have to give your budget at the beginning of the month. That is your end of the bargain. However, if you don't and you come to me and you say, look, this happened this month. I'm going through a a tough time um, with my family. I am understanding. But the fact that even sometimes my clients don't feel they have the right to exercise that is a bit of a problem. Because it means that we feel that we are prisoners of our own condition. And we don't have to be. Yeah, yeah. Super, super powerful. Um, I love that you're empowering so many women to talk about this. Why have you picked women other than being a woman as your target demographic? Why Why do you think women need more help with this stuff? I mean, let's look at patriarchy. Let's look at gender pay gap. It is. Let's look at feminism. Let's look at intersectional feminism. It is just there is a myriad of reasons I've chosen it. But studying maths, mathematics and finance at university and, you know, gagging for internships at big corporations and then going there and seeing these big buildings and then looking around and say, wow, there isn't one black woman here. Wow, there's two women in the room and there's a hundred of us. I say, this is a problem. And then I'm like, I have to go back and tell my community because I do not want to be the token anything. I do not want to be the token woman. I don't want to be the token black woman. I want to be the woman who had a rope that tied back or had her arm tied back and said, right, let's bring another one. Let's bring another one. Let's bring another one. And that we bond together to make a positive difference. So we are not in the room enough. And I said, let's be in the room and then let's let's build a table So store cards and buy now, pay later schemes are often marketed at women, I would say. What do you think about those kind of financial products? I believe they prey on people's financial illiteracy. And I think um, for so long, people have been preying on people's ignorance and it is wrong. And I speak very publicly about those companies on social media. They send me private emails saying, hey, we understand you're upset. Let's tell you about how it works. And I say, how dare you? I am an educated black woman. How absolutely dare you? I know what's happening and it's not okay. You know, this is how this is how elderly people are being tricked out of their pension. Right. People are told and, you know, cryptocurrency isn't regulated. So, you know, someone can say, hey, look, I've just put six grand in Bitcoin and they've told me it's going to be 60,000 and so and so years and you just think where was the knowledge who who was the credible person where's the validity behind this and I think now we are using what is about to be an old school form of corporate greed and we're trying to take it into a new world order but whatever the new world order is I think it's basically saying everybody has to stop being greedy everybody has to stop being superior it is time for equality You just spoke about how confusing money is, like deliberately so, for so many people and how hard it is to understand, like, you know, interest rates on some of these pay later schemes and things. Do you have any advice or resources that you could recommend to people in terms of um, improving confidence or literacy around money? Are there any accounts um, that people should follow? Are there any, like, resources that people should read? The Break platform by Patricia Bright. If you check out the E-Man Effect, um, he is a financial expert and um, qualified wealth manager. So he has a great platform. This is all via Instagram, by the way. And um, uh, Stock Pickers Academy, they're they're FCA regulated though, um, which is fantastic. In terms of emotional spending, I uh, take your point. It's a really interesting point that there's lots of different influences and factors at work. We wanted to ask about overspending because we're talking about debt. So we wanted to talk about the temptation to buy things and spend money. 
and why we do so, how it makes us feel. Of course, yeah. So I find from myself included and my clients that emotional spending can come as a result of many things. You know, I have thought about doing a master's in financial psychology. One of them is PMS, right? If we're keeping it frank, when mother nature arrives, oh my gosh, I do not want to clean. I do not want to cook. I don't want to speak to anybody. Emotional spending is having a hard day at work and then walking past one of your favorite retailers and just saying, oh my gosh, thank God for, you know, contactless there are levels to emotional spending and it's very dependent on as well your upbringing also your current circumstance if you are currently living at home where you're not happy with is it that you want to in in some form or another escape and live somewhere else there are so many levels to emotional spending and it's very dependent on your current circumstance and I I guess your history and, and all your life lessons and what has made you who you are today Mm. You mentioned there having an emergency fund. It made me think about that whole idea of a fuck it fund, which I massively prescribe to. I don't know if you speak about that with the women you work with at all, but for anyone listening who doesn't know what the hell I'm on about, a fuck it fund is basically spare money that you have by your side if you're ever like, fuck, I need to get out of this situation. It could be a shitty house share, a shitty job, a horrible relationship, any of those things, you need a fuck it fund. But of course, if you're in debt, that is one of those things that is stopping you from getting that, right? So is that something you talk to women about and how can you get that blanket if you don't have it? Yeah, so I would definitely say when somebody has an emergency fund, but they are or wants an emergency fund and they're also in debt, it's about creating ratios, creating percentages where you split it just like a pie chart. I'd like to keep things very simple. And and I say even with debts, you have to look at urgent debts first, non-urgent debts right? What comes first? And then maybe you can just build a small buffer of an emergency fund. So maybe you can put 5% of your income from an, into an emergency fund, but make sure you're getting the best rate of interest. But then you look at your debt, for example, and then you just say, okay, well, let me put, I don't know, 15% um, into it. So that's 10% more, but um, that means I pay it off faster. So I make people create debt repayment plans. I'm somewhat of a financial artist. I'm like, you draw me the picture you want to envision and I will help you get started. And then, you know, you finish it off. And do you have any tips for dealing with money and debt in a new relationship as well? From a wellness perspective, do you bring that up straight away? How do you bring that up? Is there anything like that you can help us with? Well, it depends on the type of relationship you want with the person. Because if it's if it's like I don't see a long term future with you and I'm just having fun during quarantine, as I as I call, I call them I call them quarantine days. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm literally just like, look, you have no business knowing my business. But if you see a long term with them, it's important you start having these discussions and say, look, this is where I'm currently at. This is my situation. I think it's important to make it clear that when you are making a statement, ask yourself if there's anything you need from that statement from the other person. So you say, you know, do you, do you let them know? I would I would really appreciate your assistance on this. And assistance doesn't have to be financial assistance. It could be professional assistance. Maybe they're fantastic with the graphs or they're fantastic with Excel. Um, but in order to include someone in your personal finances, it means that you include them in your personal life. To which extent is completely up to you. So if I'm dating someone and it's three months and I and I have and I have a bit of debt left, I, I might tell you, I might not. But um, if I want to share my life with you, then I I, ha- I would like to let you know. It's such a good point. It's such a relief, I think, when people. So I was saying earlier that I was in. I've just kind of got out of credit card debt 
Josh. Congratulations. Thank that's you. A, that's a, listen, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Oh, I am quite, I'm proud. Thanks. Um, I feel like I've gone red. <laughs> it's a good thing it's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> My finance, very good mother, just praise me. Um, yeah, so I was in debt for ages and I was really embarrassed to talk about it. And even I've been with my boyfriend for a couple of years and it was a while until we both spoke about money and realised we basically were in the same position and neither of us were telling each other that really we probably shouldn't have spent the money that we had. And once we opened up about it, it did take us a while, but once we opened up about it, we were kind of able to check our, each other, not each other's spending, but maybe sometimes actually we check each other's spending, check our spending as a couple, encourage each other to pay things back. And it was just such a, I felt so much lighter once we'd spoken about it, to be honest, because it was something that I was like hiding, I think. It was very freeing. I just wanted to share that. Well, no, it's because you say you're hiding it, but there's a lot of shame around it, right? Like we joke about it, but there's so much shame. Why do you think we have so much shame about it? It's ingrained in the culture that we've been told is a culture we should accept. And that culture is now shifting and changing. Um, we shouldn't feel ashamed about anything. I'm, we talk about sex more than we talk about money. You you have to question these things. I, I, I don't get it. And I think for so long, my quest to understand personal finances has come from a place of scarcity. Um, you know, why did I not have money to an extent growing up? We never went without food, praise my mum. But I think right now everybody is having a, a truth moment, whether or not they want to announce it themselves. So I think it's a cultural thing. It's such a shame, but this is why we're here to break the stigma, women. <laughs> Bola, so we ask all of our podcast guests the same question. What makes you uncomfortable? Racism. Since the dawn of time, um, I have felt discriminated against who I am born and bred in Brixton, South London. And I say that very proudly. Um, I've always called myself Bola. It is an abbreviation for my full name, Mobolaji. And um, sometimes I felt the need to use my English name, which is Anita. Um, there's been microaggressions all my life. There's been macroaggressions. And I think we've been quiet for so long or we've just somewhat, some of us have accepted it in one form or another. And with the very public killing of George Floyd, and I have to shout out to someone who could have been my auntie, someone could have been my mother, Belly Majinga is a woman who um, a member of the public spat in her face. And I believe she was a train, dri train driver and she passed off. Um, she passed away from COVID-19 as, as a black woman. I'm tired of racism. I'm tired of any ism. Thank you for sharing that. That's a really powerful thing for us to include. Thank you. Thank you so oh, much, Bola. No worries. Thank, Thank you for you having so me. Thank you for getting to your time this afternoon. This Thank you. Soon. Yeah, definitely. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. Being really poor growing up meant that when I finally started to earn my own money, I was really frugal. But then I realised that spending money on myself was like self-soothing. So I went so crazily into debt and had no idea how much debt I was in until I decided that the agony of the sleepless nights wasn't worth it anymore. So I went on a course, came back home, finally opened all the envelopes, then opted into being poor for as long as it took to pay it all off. Um, I've not been in debt since, uh, unless you count mortgages, and I won't be getting into debt again. 
When I was on maternity leave and when it was time to go back to work, I realised that I couldn't afford it. Between exorbitant nursery fees and overpriced train fares, I would have taken home just over £100 a month and spent less than an hour a day with my baby. So I took £10,000 out of our savings account, took out a £20,000 loan and bought a franchise. It didn't start well and it only got worse. Not only was I not making any money, but soon after starting the business, I had to find £1,500 a month to cover my overheads. Then COVID-19 happened. I couldn't trade. I wasn't eligible for a loan. I couldn't sell it. I couldn't afford to keep it going. And I certainly couldn't afford financially or emotionally to start from scratch when it would be possible again. So I terminated the franchise agreement and closed the company. Today I find myself having lost over £40,000, 20 of which I still need to pay back over the next four years. Now we're joined by Josie Warner, Senior Research and Insight Officer at debt charity StepChange, which is the UK's largest provider of free debt advice. So Josie, could you explain for those listeners who haven't heard of StepChange before, what the charity does and who it's aimed at? So we work with people across the UK who are experiencing problem debt. So we provide free tailored debt advice to those people. So either over the telephone or online. And we also help people kind of find recommendations um, for their debt problems. So there's a range of different solutions that that people can take. So, yeah, we have a team of close to a thousand advisors who who provide tailored advice um, to people struggling with financial difficulty. The statistics around women in debt are pretty sobering. Um, We know that it's a really prevalent problem. Over 60% of Step Change's clients are women. Why are women so disproportionately affected by debt? What are some of the key reasons why women end up in these situations? I think there are two different elements to this. So I think there are kind of environmental and economically environmental reasons. So this is things like the gender pay gap, women are more likely to be um, to have caring responsibilities for family members or children. Uh, women are more likely to be in insecure work. So that includes kind of zero hours contracts and things like that. And that just makes the wider environment for, for women economically really tricky to navigate through. And then often women kind of in financial difficulty or even before financial difficulty are impacted by what we call life events. So this is things like relationship breakdown, uh, experiencing unemployment or redundancy um, or experiencing kind of a new illness or injury. If you kind of couple those two things together, it, it makes it really difficult for women to, yeah, just work through their financial um, situations and it can make financial situations really tricky. In terms of spending, are women more susceptible to spending more or because it feels like there are kind of um, these buy now, pay later schemes that are marketed at women and, you know, a lot of um, like a lot of kind of like various shopping things that are marketed at women. I don't think necessarily women have um, are more likely to overspend. I actually think it's a bit of a, a bit of a myth that goes on there. I think with buy now, pay later, it's interesting. I've seen kind of over the last year, you see a lot of advertising for that on things like Instagram, for example. And I think it's just about making women aware of the risks that are associated with using those those kinds of credit payment but in our in our stats so this is for people kind of in in problem debt we find with women they're 
less likely to have higher credit debt. So men are more likely to have higher debts on credit cards and other credit products. But women are more likely to be behind on household bills. So more likely to build up arrears on things like their heating, um, electricity, council tax, things like that. So it's it's an interesting point. Um, and we speak about it quite a lot. And I think it's important for for us as women and women to talk about um, talk about budgeting and, and spending. But I think it is a, a, a bit of a myth that goes on that women kind of fall into financial difficulty because of problems with spending. I think there's, as we were kind of talking about before, I think there's a lot of other factors that that come into play with, with women and their finances. So step change, obviously, focus on people in problem debt. That is a lot of your clients. What kind of impact does that kind of debt have on the people that you work with, particularly women? Debt has a huge effect. And I think the thing is, it extends way beyond someone's just someone's financial situation. There's a lot of research out there about the experience of of debt on women that it can really experience it really impacts their um, their mental health, for example, and really feed into many other areas of their lives. So it can cause an awful lot of stress. We have a lot of cases of women telling us about how debt just keeps them up at night because they because they worry so much. So debt can be a really harmful situation and an experience for someone to go through. Could you, for our listeners, kind of define what you mean by problem debt and what's what maybe perhaps some of the different types of debt? Problem debt is where it's where debt starts to feel like it's a really heavy burden. And as I was saying before, starts to really impact on other areas of your life. So if you're finding that kind of keeping up with commitments, so like credit commitments, are a real struggle, you're just not able to, to keep up with the repayments on a regular basis. If you find that you're um, falling behind on, um, on different bill types, um, or it's just kind of generally you feel like your financial situation is, is just really impacting on you, um, that is what we would classify as problem debt. Um, so you're a policy advisor. Right now, what are the most pressing issues that you're dealing with and how are you trying to advise your clients? So I work in the research policy and public affairs team. So um, as you can imagine, coronavirus has, has kind of shifted everything. Just trying to make sure that people who are at real risk of financial difficulty um, and people who may have already fallen into financial difficulty are getting the support that that they need and then further down the line um, that, that that support really continues. What would you like to see the government doing to help people who've been really hit financially by lockdown and by the pandemic in general? I think firstly kind of preventing people or protecting people from unaffordable repayments for example evictions a lot of um, our clients in problem debt rent in the private rented sector and evictions are a real worry for us further down the line so there's an evictions ban at the moment but we're just worried about what's going to happen after that we're also looking to make sure that people are provided with grants and things for when they most need it so there are people and there's people coming through to debt advice for example other stats are showing really alarming rates of food bank use um, and other things. So we just want to make sure that people have the grants and the income support that they need in order to cope financially. And then also we're looking at universal credit. That seems like the most kind of form of support that's the most forefront um, for politicians. There's steps that can be taken to improve universal credit. So for example, once someone starts getting paid, 
paid universal credit, money is deducted for certain things. So, for example, advance payments that that happen when there's a five week wait between applying and um, and then receiving payments. So we want deductions to be overhauled and to be suspended and looked at. Do you have uh, advice for listeners? What's the kind of first steps with uh, with reaching out? for advice with your charity? So if people do need um, support, they can contact us online. So we have an online debt advice tool. So if you don't want to talk to anyone, um, then you can go through through that um, anonymously. And um, we also have telephone advice, which also is anonymous, but the advisor will take you through kind of the advice and the they'll go through all of your income and monthly expenditure um, and your debts and your arrears and look at what solution may be best for you. So you can either contact us online or over the telephone um, and we're open six days a week. So you mentioned that a lot of your services are anonymised so people can get in touch digitally or over the phone and they don't have to give their name or lots of personal details and things like that. Why have you, as a charity, decided to do that? So we were talking earlier about the shame that comes around debt and embarrassment and things like that. Uh, Is that something you encounter? So for a lot of people, it's quite difficult to talk about um, financial problems. So for those people, I think online debt advice um, is is a really good option. Um, But our advisors over the telephone, um, they're really supportive, non-judgmental, and will give kind of the best advice that's tailored to you. So Josie, we have a question that we ask every guest who comes on to our podcast, and that is, what makes you uncomfortable? I can, can I, can I give two answers? Um, So one, I'd say kind of on on the debt stuff, we, we touched on it a little bit already, but the taboo around debt makes me really uncomfortable. I mean, I'm someone who works for a debt advice charity, so I'm more comfortable than most talking about talking about debt, but I try and bring it up with some of my friends sometimes and it's really awkward. Um, and I guess that's why we're talking about it today. So, um, so yeah, it's, I think, I think the more we can do to get rid of the stigma and shame and embarrassment around debt, which it doesn't need to be, it affects so many people as, as we've, as we've already discussed, um, yeah, the taboo around it make, makes me quite uncomfortable. Outside of that, I was thinking about this. Um, what's made me really uncomfortable, I'm, I'm downstairs at the moment, but because, yeah, I'm trying to um, be closer to the router so I don't I don't lose you. Um, but I've been working up out of my bedroom mostly and I'm just quite aware that kind of all of my colleagues and external people that I speak to on a regular basis have just kind of seen my bedroom it's just really bizarre um so it's just strange. not something you would you would ever kind of imagine but yeah it's just it's just it's, like there and it's like yeah this is this is my bedroom so yeah that's so intrusive it, isn't it it is really intrusive um but there's no way around it so um so yeah I'd say that's that's something that's been making me feel quite uncomfortable um the last couple of months yeah it is, yeah. It is a very surreal part of of working from home life (laughs) okay thank you so much for joining us that was so interesting and informative um lots to think about and i think it'd be really helpful for listeners as well yeah thank you thank you so much for having me and inviting me on it was it was great to talk to you guys If 
if you've listened to this episode and you're worried about debt and you need some advice or some help, there are organisations out there who will listen and will support you. You can find Step Change at stepchange.org and their advice line is 0800 138 And if you'd like some mental health support to do with money, Mind is just one of the really great charities out there that you can contact. You'll find them online at mind.org.uk or you can ring the Mind Support Helpline on 0300 123 3393. That's it this week from Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Please subscribe to our podcast and review it. I'm Rachel Moss and you can find me on Twitter at Rachel Moss underscore. And I'm Brogan Driscoll and you can find me at Brogan underscore Driscoll. Thank you to our producer, Crystal Genesis, our assistant producer, Rachel Porter, and our sound engineer, Nag Corindo. You've just been listening to Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Hashtag AIMYU. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.